Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast actual play of the Hell's Rebels Adventure Path Rumor Mill number six. Yeah. Ooh. Jordan knows how to do the opening. I've heard it a thousand <laughs> times. Actually, I have heard it over 200 times at least. Sure. So <laughs> it is burned into my soul. You act like all of us get it wrong every time. Not all of you. I say what I want. I have no originality. We've, we've determined this. <laughs> I don't know they about that. Had, I don't know when we determined that. <laughs> Any hoozles. Uh, we are going to be discussing episodes 16, 17, and 18 today. Mm -hmm. Yep. So recapping episode 16, it starts with the party split up. Some doing cleanup work at the Thrashing Badger and some of us just going about our days. Ar nice. Arguably, I think splitting the party is the theme of these last three episodes. Seriously, True. yeah, yeah. We split the party way <laughs> too much. It makes me very uncomfortable how much we have to split up. It feels well, like. it's different when it's a city campaign and there's a bunch of stuff going on. It's not like we're in the middle of a dungeon and three of us are going one direction and we send one person down the hallway by themselves. Yeah, and honestly, statistically, we're not doing too bad. Two out of the three times, we were okay. That's true. I mean, yeah. technically speaking, you guys split up at the end of every day. I mean, that's You're not true. like the regular venture party that all yeah. goes back to the same tavern together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but uh, while we were split up, there was a collapse in the wasp nest that injures one of the Fushi sisters. Yeah. And we're not sure if it was sabotage or an accident or what. Sabotage. There was a bunch of investigation, try to figure there, it out. There really wasn't much investigation. There was talk of investigation, but we haven't gotten there, there around were roles to made. real investigation. There yet. were roles made. I think it came to consensus, because I think it was, uh, Cesare believed yes. It was sabotage. I believe no. Victoria believed yeah. yes, but she didn't get a chance to, like, really get into, like, when it took place. She didn't get to go all forensics and recreate the scene. Well, she just really hasn't had time because we've had a bunch of other stuff going on. Yeah, there's been slightly more important things. We'll have to have another episode of uh, CSI Cantargo another time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Victoria just taking off her sunglasses dramatically. <laughs> While that happened, uh, Cesare did finally have his date with Hedeman Hayes. Which was Which amazing. True. Which was very interesting, yeah. to say the least. Glad to get more Cesare and more Hedeman, too. I think that yes. was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I was going to say, I like Hedeman. He's one of my favorite NPCs. I like him yeah. a lot, obviously. Yeah. Well, clearly. <laughs> yeah, you want to date with him, so clearly. <laughs> There's a little round uh, roundabout conversation there about uh, cause it's funny. I'm married to a teacher, as is Jordan. Uh, former, former, both on both parts. But, uh, so it's like, yeah, why did you get into teaching? Like having a conversation about that. And I think Cesare's answer ended up just being, eh, I have an education and I need a job. Pretty much, That's, every you know, teacher in yes, the world ev like died on the yeah, we, yeah. Every teacher in the world wanted to slap you right then. Well, that's honestly, I that's honestly why Cesare is a teacher. It's one of those he came back to Cantargo and he needed a job and also well, not a teacher of magic. You're yes. a teacher Just of history too. Every so. teacher knows that person who is teaching for, you know, oh, I'm just doing this because I needed to do this, and they're, they're the worst ones teacher. on campus. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just Cesare like, is a good teacher, though. He did don't tell... Know. I've never seen you teach. He did tell Hedeman that while he didn't, like, get into it because he wanted to be a teacher, he does enjoy it. He did say that. So, The question you know. is, do your students? That's the question. <laughs> How in touch is Cesare with his students? Check uh, the uh, Grade My Prof website. And no, there we go. I mean, I get, I get extra points for having a cat 
that like helps grade <laughs> papers, okay? I mean, you probably do. <laughs> do, the, do, yep. do the students find that helpful? Okay, if you do office hours, do you have you doing one and um, Raven doing the other students? So you can do like two students at once? I'd like to think that Raven has a tiny little desk next to the door that leads into the room, like a secretary's desk. <laughs> <laughs> you have to like check in with like, the cat. Mr. Nightbloom, the student's here to see you. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, sentiment. You know, and Raven helps out during class. You know, she sits on the desk mm. and makes sure that they're not cheating or anything like that. So it's basically like uh, Mrs. Norris, <laughs> except for, you know, not writing oh, up students quite as much. Yeah. Mm. Not worrying oh, if man. the students are out after dark. Yes. Raven does not care. They're adults that. technically at that point. Because so, the yeah, professor's out after dark. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Cesare after dark. Oh. As well as Cesare having a date, uh, Niccolo had dinner with his mother who made an appearance. Yeah, Always yeah. fun. Another favorite NPC. Ooh, uh, and fun. Vittoria had a conversation with Morgar Manthai that ended up with him being recruited mm-hmm. without telling anybody that she well, was recruiting him. she didn't have time. <laughs> yeah, y'all didn't exactly give me a moment. It's true. It's true. Uh, which did lead us into episode 17, uh, the beginning of our investigation into the Night of Ashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So uh, half the party went to the noble district, searching the Vitacora mm-hmm. estate, which was Lucia, Cesare, and Vittoria. Okay. The I know ones it's been like two episodes, but nobles. <laughs> <laughs> while there, we didn't find a whole lot. Uh, we did find one box with, or a lock with papers in it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe that's useful. We haven't had a lot of time to dig through it. We don't know some of its deeds, but we don't know what all of it is. There was a key ring with three keys, and then mm-hmm. a portrait of the Victoria family, which I imagine is going to be very important to Rexus. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. We did find that portrait. So mm-hmm. that was, you know, yeah. it wasn't all for nothing. Well, and again, uh, there was also the inclusion there that they took the time to put something in there yeah. while the house was burning down around them. Yeah, yeah. there's something yeah. important in there, I feel. It's just we don't know what because we haven't had a chance to look. I'm sure Rexus will yeah. be able to give us some idea of why these documents were so important besides just yes. the fact that they're deeds. We just, you know, haven't had a chance to go back and talk to him with all the other chaos going on. And I think I, I can't remember who I mentioned this to, but I did mention this to somebody and I reiterated it actually at the beginning of the following episode. Where it was uh, when Barzillaithrun showed up and decided, I need to take control of this entire city, he burned down three places. Mm-hmm. So while there isn't an obvious, like real obvious reason why the Victoria estate was targeted as much, but apparently he viewed the threat of these Ioran librarians as being just as dangerous as the Church of Serenrei. And the Church of Milani. Which makes me think there's something in one of those documents, or there's a clue to something in one of those documents that would be really bad for the Thrunes if it came out. Well, they know the real yeah, history, yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, it's more that they probably have real historical documents. Well, and so this is a little bit um, more like psychologically interesting in that the mm-hmm. entire structure of Chiliax is built on law. Like what if there's something somewhere that there's like some law in the books or something that the Thrunes don't want people to know about? Yeah. Maybe that's why they take such care to burn down so many histories and law books I mean, and all possible. these other things. Like the Vitticor family actually owns like Castle Cantargo or something. And so yeah. like, <laughs> that's why the Lord Mayor is not staying there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be a twist. Yeah. yeah. Like Rexus just shows up as like, hey, actually, y'all need to get out. Yeah. Bye. Everybody get out. This is the Silver Raven headquarters now. I'm going to take this <laughs> castle. <laughs> well, and- I mean, it may not be quite so traumatic, but yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, and Vittoria also figured out that the the fire was 
placed and done in such a way that it wouldn't spread to the other buildings. And yeah, it, it was, was professional yeah. arsonry, yeah. mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. There was no accident. Nothing was left to chance. I mean, to be fair, that's all three locations is mm -hmm. like yeah. that. It didn't even spread to the rest of the grounds. Like Rick mentioned that the rest of the grounds and the trees and everything were fine. It literally just destroyed the house. Well, the Order of the Rack is real good at burning <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Turns out. <laughs> Appar yeah, again, apparently professional arsonists. So, you know, fun time. Probably the second best of the Hell Knights after the Order of the Pyre. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of things lighting on fire, pyres. They got some advice, yeah. you know. They're yeah. mostly about witches. They though, have an so. email chain list of like 10 tips for making controlled fires or something like that. <laughs> it's true. They, they all went to the same uh, course. Yes, but while the Victoria estate was being investigated, the other half, made up of Niccolo, Adria, and special guest star Morgar Manthai, uh, yep. explored the ruins of the Thrashing Badger, doing a little diving to get uh, Vendelfix's uh, hoard, as well as find out if there's anything else down there, which you did find a statue of Milani. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Proving that the rumors were true. Indeed. And again, no evidence of bodies or other foul play, so either mm -hmm. somebody might have escaped and or the thrones left nothing to chance. Yes. It's hard to know, really. Yep. Yep. And after that, we had the two halves of our party reunite. Uh, Morgar Manthai taking the horde back to uh, Vendelfeck in the Wasp's Nest and uh, moving on to the Silver Star Music Shop. We had begun a little bit of investigation in time for a uh, what is it, section Landslide. of wall. To, to, Slab of rock. Yeah. Uh, Spent two weeks falling at Niccolo. Attempts to uh, <laughs> crush Niccolo in a cliffhanger, uh, and sure. then episode 18, uh, Rick prepares some notes for us and has conveniently written, you know what you did for the summary of episode 18 because <laughs> Lucia did a dumb. <laughs> we also just recorded that, to be it's fair. It's also that, but uh, so, but uh, to start off with, uh, Niccolo didn't get crushed by the stuff. Uh, we had found True. that there were several other weak points in uh, the, well, what was left of the rubble, um, allowing for Cesare and Vittoria to start patching that up. A little behind the screen here, by the way. Uh, that stone slab deals 3d8 points of damage. Dang! Ow. What so about the other don't hazards? Get crushed. Like, how bad were the other hazards? <laughs> They're all the same. Oh, wow. There are three sections there, each of them, if you don't find them with a, uh, a perception check against their stealth DC, which is 17. So I think uh, Nicola only just found the second one. Wow. Then, yeah, they'll they drop on you for... Uh, it's a reflex save DC 17 also. And uh, failing that, it's 38 points of damage. Jeez, which is that potentially is... enough to think drop some of you down to dying. If, Maybe uh, if I rolled well enough. But yeah, before we get into what happened with Lucia, we did find some magical scrolls and mm -hmm. a cool a scimitar, and yeah. then the bodies with one who probably died in the fire because she was badly burned, and then two dead Datari, which. Seems like they were killed by somebody who was waiting for yeah. them to come and investigate after the fire. They weren't killed in the collapse. They were killed by a sword. Yep. Yeah. Which kind of implies that there was probably somebody who survived that fire and came back for like vengeance or we something. We need to find then, them mm. and befriend them. Yeah. I was like, so there might be like a Serenite out there who well, like, you know, would be an ally. Uh, we don't know where Shinsen is. Mm -mm. I mean, it's true. I think it might be Shinsen. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. It's so possible. Because, it be I mean, her. it was her music shop. True. She was known to be the head of the faith in the city. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Mm. Probably the most powerful Serenite in town, regardless of who else was there. It's just a question yep. of whether or not she was the one who survived. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. And whoever did it was able to do uh, 20 hit points of damage per hit. 
Yep. Because that's what would have been necessary to kill both of those people that's with one swing. That's pretty good. That's yeah, a lot of damage. Pretty, I mean, it's a scimitar, powerful. so, you know. But actually, yeah. no, that doesn't apply in second edition. I was going to say yeah. higher crit range, but it's like, no. That's not a thing in 2E, yeah. Nope. But then the rest of us made our way to Niccolo's house and had kind of a peaceful evening. Yeah, Jordan, yeah. Uh, Jordan, why don't you tell us what happened to, to Lucia? It was bad. I should have gone so, with her. Lucia, Lucia yeah. I had a hard time because it was a choice between doing what was smart and doing what was like what my character would do. So leading the Dotari away seemed like a smart thing to do, even though it was very dumb. Adria bailed, bailing her out the first time by breaking into a random house, which yep. was stupid. Which was awesome. I was kind of waiting for the guards to just walk up while Adria's just ramming her shoulder into the door over and over and mm. over. Adria would have been, been like, shockwave, run away. Yeah, I know. I was like, I was like, we probably could outrun him if I got my panache and I had a 30-foot movement speed to be like, bye! But then they would have probably like woken the whole city up and it would have been a whole like manhunt thing. So it wasn't smart. Well, the biggest problem with running away from the Datari, because uh, you easily outpace them when you did run away from them later, is they aren't particularly fast. It's just the sheer number of them in the city. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like once they start blowing their signal whistles, it's like, oh, I'm getting away from these guys. Oh, wait, there's another group of them coming. to. You just got to get to the devil's in. nursery because there ain't none there. Well, that's, then, that's not saying yeah. they wouldn't have gone in there to try to find well, somebody. Well, they might have gone in there. Yeah, if I'd been smarter, I would have uh, probably cut my losses there and run to the Fair Fortune livery. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't think about that until later. But I was like, okay, I can go to Bleak Bridge. In worst case, I can jump off of Bleak Bridge. Didn't realize that was a stupid move. It was very in line, though, with like her, with Lucia's like kind of like wanting to go to a safe place kind of thing. So I was like, I, eh. I suppose if we're if we're jumping forward to the Bleak Bridge, because, uh, yeah, of course, you know, there's the whole break into a house and then. Mm -hmm. It felt like kind of a spiraling thing. Uh, I think I made a joke with Rachel where it's like, it's kind of like when a little kid lies to you, where it's just like... Yeah, where it just compounds, the lies compound, and it gets wor yeah. worse and worse. You know, why, why, isn't your, why isn't your dad here for, uh, for show and tell? It's like, oh, my dad's in the army. Actually, no, he's in the Air Force. Actually, he's in the Air Force and he's an astronaut. Actually, he's in space right now. Well, actually, mm -hmm. he's on a moon base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with Steve. <laughs> where, you, where you keep having to come up with a new lie to cover your previous lie, and it just kind of yep. keeps snowballing. So uh, I think the lesson from this episode was lying is bad. Yeah, don't lie. Lying is bad. <laughs> Generally, well, don't lie. well for experts in lying. <laughs> yeah, consider, considering, yeah, Lucia is an expert in deception. That was pretty, uh, like, pretty rough. I was actually expecting it to be like Lucia walks up and says, you know, or I think, Jessica just brought up. I think Adria is an expert in deception. We have the same she? bonus. We're both okay. experts in deception. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, I just walk up and just go, somebody stole my purse and he ran off that way. Yeah. Or I saw him coming out of the house. He went that way or something like that. So it then becomes like the, oh, it's like, oh, well, I saw someone break into my, it's like, I think someone broke into my house. I walked in and I saw the door was kicked in. At which point it's like, well, of course they're going to ask you to accompany them there yeah. to their house. And then it just kept being, I can't get rid of these guards, and so I have to keep coming up with a new excuse, a new excuse, a new excuse. But each one of them goes, I had to sit there and go, there's no rational way that the guard wouldn't escort you. Like, you're going out at night, and you're a little old woman. Of course, they're going to escort you to your friends. They're going to escort you back over here. They're going to find we a place to take care of you. should have just jumped the guards. Well, so I was, I was thinking to jump the guards, except I was outnumbered by them. So I was hoping to blit one off, and then Adria come with me to Bleak Bridge and jump them before we got to Bleak Bridge. But that didn't happen. So I was like, Yeah, I nuts. should have gone with you, and then we could have jumped them. This makes an interesting question, actually, for Ross at that point. Mm. Ross being the only one who's actually stood toe-to-toe -to -toe against the Datari before. You guys are one level higher since then. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've attacked the Datari, but yes, um, I wouldn't say stood toe to toe. Yeah, but, uh, but but Nicolo fought the Datari back in episode two. Yeah, how do you feel your odds would be? 
<clears throat> to be honest, I'd give myself maybe even odds. Admittedly, that would mm. be I couldn't take kid gloves on. Like I can't try to do non-lethal damage or something like oh, that. Yeah. It would be I would have to try to kill them. And even then, I'm not sure I could. Like it would basically come down to can I outlast them? Can I do more damage than the Datari? And but I don't think you maybe. have to kill them. I think you have to get them distracted and messed up enough that you can run. Yeah. yeah, but I don't have anything. I would not have anything to debilitate them in that way. Yeah, but if I had been with you, I could have shockwaved or thrown a pufferfish or whatever, and then we run. Yeah, and if I knew I was faster than them, I could. I should have just run for it, and I would have disappeared. I mean, even shockwave or tripping them or something would would trip them up for a bit. But like, I don't know if you'd be able to get a clean getaway with just like that. It's like, if we can never get away from them, we can't lie to them. It becomes a, how do we do any of this? Oh, I think we can lie to them. I think our lies were just bad. Yeah. Like. Well, that, that also highlights something I dislike about second edition because for when I'm doing lying and stuff, I tailor the type of lie that I do in the role play based on how I roll in first edition. And I can't do that with second edition because I don't know if the lies, like if I did a good lie or not. Well, that's kind of how lying is in real life. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, that doesn't even, that doesn't even really come up that often with uh in even first edition, because a lot of times you would say something and then I'd say, okay, I need you to roll bluff mm -hmm. because of what you said. And they would base it off of that. There's very rare that it's like, I roll bluff first and okay, well, what, what are you tell Like, what is your lie now that you know that you rolled a five? You know, so in this case, I don't necessarily think, I think the secret check part of it is you didn't know whether or not the guards were believing you, which I think actually helped that's, that's maintain fine. the tension of the entire situation. Where like, cause towards the beginning, the guards actually did believe you. They didn't really have a reason not to. Well, yeah. But it was as so it broke kept into going some and... guy's house. <laughs> <laughs> as it well, kept snowballing. I think that right now we have to be careful around them. Like that doesn't mean that we can't confront them ever, but we are we are not we're not high level. We're second level characters. Like we yeah. are still really coming up in the world. Well, and you would imagine that low-level guards prowling the street would also be second level, maybe not, like, elite. Which would put them, on, at best, even with us, which means yeah. that there's, like, a 50-50 shot, basically. I would argue that your odds were good against the Datari if all five of you had been there. Five on oh, three, yeah. I think your odds are pretty good. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Even five on five, I think your odds would be pretty good. Which I guess we could have done, but like it, the way that I, I'm kind of thinking of it now, looking back, is like they would have round one blew their whistles, and then we would have been jumped by every single person. So see, and that's the danger of the Datari. They have their signal whistles. They have all these guard posts throughout the city. It's easier just to avoid them because, as we saw in this episode, interacting with them is more trouble than it's worth right well, now. Well, we couldn't avoid these guards because yeah, they were that's, coming. Yeah, this was one of those situations where you cannot hide from them without them coming and finding us. Well, no, you can hide from them. You just roll a sneak exactly. check. Yeah, but y'all can't hide when you're in a hole and they see us in the hole. Like, Yeah, there's rubble in the hole. We hide behind the rubble. So I can, I can give you the behind the screens if you would like the mechanics on this. Yeah, sure. So the mechanics is as written, if there's no one posted to watch out for the guards there's a 30% chance that the guards come around every hour. The odds of the guards coming around goes up if you cause any of the collapses because the noise because alerts the, noise. the surrounding neighbors and they contact yep. the guard. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. So the odds of them coming went up. If you have mm -hmm. a lookout, that person can alert the group beforehand and go, hey, there's guards coming. 
At which point everyone can make a stealth check. Actually, the people in the hole have a higher chance because there's more ground for them to hide in and you're also further away from them. It's actually the people on watch that need to hide better. And it's also a rainy night. So we put out our light spells. We duck behind the stuff. It's a rainy, dark night. Okay, the rain dislodged some more of this crap in this hole. Stuff gets wet. That's how landslides start in the real world. They could have just That's assumed, true. hey, that the was rain just a caused landslide. something to slide in deeper into this pit. That's what people heard. Moving on with our lives. And seeing how dangerous that pit is, none of them are going to want to climb, climb down, down there. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, we did a quick check around. We shined our bullseye lanterns down there. and then we Didn't went, see eh. anyone. Yeah, I mean, it, it was an option. Obviously, yeah, we went a different route. And to be fair, yeah. we did actually get the Dataria away from us. Like, they yeah. didn't oh, find yeah. us. I mean, it yeah. was successful. Yeah. yeah, it just ended up again. It steadily spiraled uh, from my GM standpoint. And this is something that comes up. We have had questions about this before when things kind of go off the rails. And this was not what I was expecting from that session. I was expecting, okay, the guards are going to show up and either like Adria. I actually thought Adria had a higher bluff check. So it's like either Adria is going to go over there and just be like, you know, oh, I lost my dog. He's wandering around here. Could you help me find him? Oh, I spent an hour walking around and they're like, well, it's getting close to curfew, ma'am. You know, we'll put out a notice and be like, oh, thank you, officers. I'm sorry to take up your time. In the meantime, you bought enough time for the party to like dig around there or something. Or all of you hide you know, to stealth to the best of your ability and hopefully the guards don't find you. And if they did, I figured you'd jump out non-lethal damage a couple of them just so that you're not at the very least being searched for for murder and uh, bludgeon some of them to unconsciousness. And five on three, your odds are pretty decent. It just ended up going a separate direction where I became concerned when you went to Bleak Bridge because there are watchtowers on either end of the bridge. So it ended up just being, you're on the bridge, you're on the bridge with the guards, you run from them, logically they pursue you. There are other guard, guard towers nearby, so logically they come out. You jump into the water, they specifically do patrol the waters. So in, large in part that to case, make sure is there any chance I could have gotten away in the river? With an athletics of one, probably not, but my luck was pretty good in all of that. All things considered, I should have drowned. Like, I absolutely <laughs> should have drowned. Well, and that was what my major concern was, is that you were just going to drown. You were looking at needing to get 20 successes to reach shore without getting any critical failures, of which you had a 20% chance every round of getting a critical failure. Yeah. So I was honestly more concerned for you. Once you hit the water and couldn't get to the pylons on time, it just went... I'm more concerned that you're just going to end up dying as opposed to getting caught by the Datari. Yeah. Again, it is one of those occasions where everything just kind of went in a direction and we all just had to improvise. Yeah, if I had known there were guards in the river, I would have not suggested you jump into the river because you would have had a better well, chance Well, that's, that's, I think, like one of the problems with like playing characters in city campaigns is the characters might actually know that. Like they might have a clue of some of that stuff, but we have no way of like determining that in the, you know, the kind of the spur of the moment. So it's one of those like, I'm going to try this. We'll see if it works. Well, and some of this honestly might come back down to the fact that uh, we record this biweekly. And because the patrols of the rivers have been mentioned numerous times. It's almost every other time that you guys have to pay a toll, and it's like, why don't we just sneak across the river? And it's like, there are patrol boats boats on the river. Well, and that was part of the reason we had to be careful when we went to the Thrashing Badger, because Rick mentioned there were patrols on the river, and that, you know, is at a dock, so they'd be able to see us. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also like, for Lucia, she is not well-equipped to do any of this, so if anybody was going to get caught, I kind of figured it was going to be Lucia. No, your deception is like best in the group. That's like, the worst part is I have good deception, but my dice luck is trash. So I mm. figured I would eventually get caught in a lie and get caught because I can't roll for anything, which I think you're the dice were it. supporting. You're not rolling it. Lucia never got caught in a lie because of a failed check. I believe Lucia passed every one of her checks. 
Yep. Like, up until the very end. Because the guards believed you when you said, hey, somebody broke into my house. They got to the house, they believed you when you said it was your house and that your husband was coming home. They believed you again when you said, oh, I've got a friend over here and I can stay over here. It literally wasn't until they showed up to your quote-unquote friend's house and she says, I have no idea who this woman is. Which, to be fair, she wouldn't because they would have never seen this person before. Well, and she should because you were going to get her in big trouble. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it's, again, oh, a strange woman shows up and says, oh, yeah, I, I know you were friends. It's like, no, I don't want to get involved in any of this stuff with the guard or anything else. Like, yeah. I'm just I'm just yeah. a goth gnome running my little goth gnome jewelry shop. I don't want to deal with you people. Would you like a spider web choker? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just kind of escalated at that point. But honestly, I don't think Lucia failed a single one of those deception checks. That's the weird thing, though, is like is 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 like the role play and the dice aren't telling the same story at that point, because it's like hmm. mechanically she is very good at lying. But I, I don't know that I'm being successful at lying to know that like she's a good liar. She's a good actress. Like she'd be good at like if she yeah. had time to prepare and think about things, but she didn't. So she just panics and panics and panics. So I don't think at any point that you guys did anything that didn't follow the logical progression of the story. No. I don't think so. No, Adria should have gone with Lucia. That's the one thing. Adria makes no sense for her not to have gone. Yeah, I, I think Adria probably would have, but, you know, eh, you did what you did, so yeah. is what it is. That can be where the issue ran into. And honestly, I just expected you to go back to Adria's house, probably just be like, okay, and then you pull out your key, because I imagine you have a house key, and you're like, oh, well, my friend, you know, she must have stayed over another friend's, but okay, I'm going to be safe here, officers. And again, they believed you. Well, that's like Jess got in my head and said, don't bring her to my house. Well, and because I when they just know that you're it. lying... Yeah. They'll go yeah. directly to my house. And then there's nobody there. I mean, the only time the Dotari are really a problem is when we're acting suspiciously at night. They don't pay any attention to what you're doing during the day. Yeah, not unless you're attacking somebody. Again, it was not what I was expecting from that. I was expecting it to be like two or three dice rolls, and it's just like, oh, either we hide or someone goes up and says, you know, I think what Cesare made a joke or like, you know, just send Raven up and have Raven run down the alleyway. It's like, oh, my cat got away from me. Oh, no, kitty. At the end of the day, though... I mean, it was hilarious and kind of great. I think the listeners are really going to like it. I mean, at the end of the day, it was funny. I was like, I'm like, if I make it through this, I'm going to train in athletics. Oh, well, yeah. Just the sheer gulf of untrained to trained, where it's, yeah. okay, I don't have any athletics. So, you know, for Lucia, she only had, would only have a 45% chance if it was a DC 10 yep. of swimming in a river. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, if I'm drowning 50% of my, the time. My general plan was to never go in the river, and that didn't really work out. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, that episode ended up with you uh, in jail. Yep. Um, I was a little surprised at the uh, pulling the Sereni card. Well, it was one of those things that I was like, I can either go with the Sereni card or they're probably going to find it anyway. So I kind of was like, I'm going to use my get out of jail free card because like... The, the thing that got me was they were trying to get me for the for the B and E because they were like, is grabbing the box worth your life? And I was like, I didn't steal anything. So yeah, are they going to try to get when me they for investigate? That? Could yeah. they have even proven anything? Like, you do they care about do proving they things? Care, like we're in an evil military dictatorship. I, there is no way that they care about evidence. They fired all the good guards. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. I don't, and, and the judges are going to be Abadaran or not Abadarans, uh, Asmodeans. So come on, <laughs> judges. So I'll give you a little, a little behind the screens here. They just assumed that you were a thief. It was, it is what you took worth your life. The guards down there didn't have any idea what the other guards do. So at the moment, you were basically being charged with resisting arrest. Sure. Because you did. 
breaking inner and out past curfew. Which they could never prove that I did because I was with the guards while that happened. So they would, That is true. You, you would have had an accomplice. They would have tried to I would, They would have been like, you did something stupid enough, like kick in this door to this place, rob it, and then go find us for yeah. no reason whatsoever. Which is know. unprovable, and they are a lawful evil society, but there is that lawful element where, okay, well, can you prove this? No. Most lawful evil societies, it's all about the burden of proof. Because mm. like, oh, well, you got away with it with no, with no proof. Yeah. We're lawful evil. We do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, as it was, as Lucia was looking at probably about two weeks of jail time or a fine. <laughs> she gets goes to jail for two weeks and it for, she goes to jail for two weeks and it's just like saying they're pumping iron. Like, oh, I'm not <laughs> well, now you're going to your family estate yeah. or you're going to be tortured by this hell knight because they think that you know something. Know something about what, though? That's the thing. It's like, what do you think I know? Because I don't know that much, all things Yeah, to be because considered. the Silver Ravens haven't made a big enough impression really on Bingo. the city to be a known yeah, but the whole like who were you like working with blah, blah 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 or whatever i don't even i don't know well it's because lucia started by saying that she was kidnapped and launched into this entire thing where it's like well we're already investigating your disappearance and we've already ruled yeah. out kidnapping because none of the evidence points to that i yeah. was i was kind of banking on there being a little less inter you know inter-area communication <laughs> Well, I mean, and she can always, if they ask her about that, Lucia can always say, well, I knew the family was going to be pissed if I said I just ran away, so I was trying to get out of trouble with my family by saying I was kidnapped. Yep. That sounds like a little, like a spoiled, something a spoiled little rich girl would say if she got caught, you know, oh, I, I was kidnapped, you know, so. Yeah, because Lucia to... has lied a lot. It's just, she's never, like, really been, like, somebody's putting the screws to her with it. So it's like, uh... <laughs> fact of the matter is, is for everything that Lucia did in this last episode, legally speaking, all she did was resist arrest and out past curfew, which out past curfew, I think, is a one gold fine or one D six days in jail and resisting arrest, I think, is a two gold fine or two D six days. In jail. And they were trying to arrest her because she pretended to be an old lady. The problem was that when she was made, when the gnome said, basically, I don't know you, her first instinct was to I'm going to run now. Yeah. Instead of like answer questions. But if she questions. had stood there and been like, okay, guess not, and her hat wore off, then what happens? I mean. Well, yeah, I, no, that's the thing is I don't think there was another way out of that situation. But yeah. technically she did resist arrest when she ran. So. And in answer to Jessica's question, it would have been, she would have been taken. They would have asked her, who is this person that you were you know, working with that actually broke into the house? What's all the rest of this stuff? If she refused to answer all the rest of that, they probably would have just slapped her with a fine for being out past curfew. Why would they think that she's working with the person that broke into the house? Like, who leads them? Because she she knew beforehand that there was someone breaking knew, into the yeah, house. Yeah, I knew that it was broken and, and then pretended to it was disguise her house. myself. Yeah. I guess, but who leads? Who breaks into a house and then leads the police to the house? That's the part that's crazy. That's, that's the part that yeah. actually doesn't make any sense. But again, they have no other suspects, so they're going to go with who they have have in custody that's things yeah. that cops do all the time yeah i guess they are bad cops so yeah. yeah yeah in the past they were probably fine it's just that they brought in all the asshole guys yeah which we're gonna have to figure out where they're important i mean i guess they could just be bringing them in from chelyax but it's like yeah. that seems like a lot of work well and it's it's how many are they bringing in versus how many of they them are they just like okay we've shown up here it's like all right who who from the guards were fired in the last year for Reckless endangerment force. or excessive force or anything. These guys, well, those are actually the type of people we want. Yeah. You know, let's offer them their jobs back. And then, you know, let's rotate out the people that, oh, well, you're on desk duty because, you know, you roughed up a, you know, someone in your custody. Well, let's put you back on the street and then let's take this guy off of the street that we know is sympathetic and put him on desk duty. Yep. All right. We have got three emails to go through. 
Emails. We'll knock these I'm out ready. in good form. Our first email is from Cy, quote unquote Cy J, from San Francisco, California, which uh, he has placed himself in Anchor Tay District, Kermaga. Excellent. Great pick. Kermaga, real fun. All right. Cy writes Hey, Pathfolk, Rick's favorite hey. part. Hello. I've always loved your podcast, but I was stoked to hear you peeps play PF2 Yay. since it's my preferred system these days. Awesome. I'm having a lot I knew of fun you'd with it. all, mm-hmm. in parentheses, y'all, really <laughs> do the system justice as demonstrated by not only your incredible rules knowledge in your PF1 games, but honestly, astonishing ability to keep so diligently to the rules without killing each other, crossed out, losing sight of the playing game <laughs> to have fun part. I haven't died yet. It's been the best of both worlds for me because I knew I'd learn more about the rules of 2E while listening to some genuine friends have a great time telling some terrible. Not terrible, incredible tales. (laughs) (laughs) The opposite of terrible. Way to put words in their mouth. (laughs) So thank you for that. You guys are awesome. Please never stop. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. Yes, thank you. And very small side tangent on that. That does kind of link into this most recent episode where I do my best to learn the rules beforehand and I'm just like, God, I haven't read over the aquatic combat rules. It was a, I I went way, like, usually we go a little off script, but that was like, throw the entire page (laughs) out and we're just going to do this. So it was very improvised. Like this morning I was just, I was rehearsing myself on the hazard rules because I was like, all right, I'm dealing with hazards tonight. Mm. I mean, there were hazards, (laughs) just not the ones that you intended. There were hazards (laughs) too. I almost got crushed by one. That's true. <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> yeah, so on to the question. The question. Cy writes, as the resident GM of my group, I'd love to hear Rick and Ross talk about conversion and things. They've found out about 2E while looking at it through the lens of translating it from 1E. I feel like conversion is almost harder than creation in 2E, but I'm not sure if I ever really grokked 1E, so it's hard to tell. Any hmm. advice for aspiring converters? I feel like this should be just a whole episode on its own. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, we talked a little bit about this with the guys over at No Direction. True. Whenever we made the announcement for this. Mm-hmm. I would say, honestly, the, the only thing that I run into a lot of difficulty with is translating over treasure. Mm. Because a yeah. lot of times the treasure, it does, there is not a one-to-one conversion for the treasure mm. because of the price change difference and everything else. Well, and so much of it isn't even statted out anymore because you don't have, like, ultimate equipment or the equivalent yeah. of that in second yet. edition yet. One of the one of the beauties, though, with second edition is uh, I say this being generous because I'm always a little on the fence of whether or not I like it. Is that they're just pretty much guidelines for NPC or monster conversion stuff. That it's just what level does the NPC need to be? It needs to be this level. His hit point should be between this and this. His attack bonus should be between this and this. Mm-hmm. Choose if he's a, a primary combatant or something like that. His save should be in this range, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you just go with a gut feeling. What feels right for this character? Yeah. Which is kind of weird. And um, monster, I mean, I've built a few monsters that weren't in best areas at the time that you know I ran certain encounters. Um, and the rules that they gave for it, I'd say were generally pretty good. I never had any mm-hmm. like issues with the monsters either being too weak or too powerful or something like that. They were right where I thought they should be. So like the guidelines they provide in the Game Mastery Guide, I think are really good. Yeah, I agree. And again, I'm not familiar with Starfinder, but I know it's similar to the Starfinder rule set. Hmm. So, Psy continues. Also, just FYI, Dire Corbys were one of my favorite low-level monsters in 1E. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We, I was really sad we couldn't make Doom. friends with a Dire Corby. I know. Doom. 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 
I'm very sad. That was like the saddest part of this entire adventure so far. I want to play a dire Corby so I can just be like Groot and just go doom, and everybody else has and to there, And there's out that one character I mean. that's like, well, he's saying this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, I was tempted just because I enjoyed the dire Corby so much of trying to figure out a way to make it work because there are allies that you can get for the rebellion that actually give you penalties. <laughs> because it's like, oh, like I would gladly have taken that penalty. Yeah, where it's like, there are a couple of them that's just like, well, yeah, they give you a bonus on this thing, but you actually take a penalty on this other different thing. That it's like, well, yeah, you know, Vindelfeck is really useful to, for a team if you put him on a team, but if Vindelfeck gets bored, he causes these other penalties where it's like, it's yeah. actually hard to be secretive with a loudmouth fairy dragon that's just causing pranks <laughs> and problems all the time. Mm. It could have been interesting to deal with, uh, hey, we've got this Dark Corby, and it's great when we want to smash down walls and everything else, but in the meantime, it might just get angry and attack anyone down here in the wasp nest. Mm. I said it, she. Cough. Mm. That, yeah, that would be a tough pill to swallow, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We did end up going that route regardless, so, yeah. That's true. Dire Corbys. Yep. Uh, Sai goes on to write, I even built a whole mini campaign around them, so obviously I was ecstatic <laughs> to see Rick's conversion notes. <laughs> I threw two groups of four dire corbies at my fifth level party back to back oh, last dear. session, and it was a delight. For, me, <laughs> for, for you. Yeah, that's the GM yeah. for you. Oh, that dear. sounds awful. That sounds awful. Fun behind the screens thing that ties into that comment in the previous thing is uh, I gave dire corbies the, basically the equivalent of the breach ability of sharks. Oh, yeah. Lord. That's how I replicated their leaping at claw attack thing, which is like hmm. sharks have a cool breach ability that lets them leap out of the water and attack things. Hmm. So, again, just find a cool ability and uh, and rework the flavor on it. Yeah. That is the other thing that second edition gives you is a lot of flexibility to do your own custom, like, abilities and, and mm -hmm. things. If you're just like, well, I wish it had this ability. I'll just make it, you know. Yeah. Sai yeah. signs off. Thanks again for everything. Sai. P.S. I know there's a lot of teachers and librarians that may hear this, so please, gracious reader, fix any of my schwing-ups. <laughs> yeah. He does put schwing. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, Sai. <laughs> no, yep. yeah, very good. That was great. Yeah. Our second email comes from Jim from Donganhold. Mm. Ah, fellow dwarf uh, lovers. Yep, so somebody who likes dwarves. Rick's already a fan. Hey, FTP crew, Jim from Dog and Hold checking in with this podcast. I am really enjoying the story, and it is interesting to hear it being played in second edition. After listening to all the episodes twice, because they do not come out often enough yet, <laughs> <laughs> support us on Patreon. That's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting plug, there. Plug, 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 plug. Yeah. Offer some additional support on Patreon. Yeah. I have a few fun ideas of what characters I would play in a 2E version of Hell's Rebels. I'll only do a few teases just in case I get a chance to actually play. Uh, one character idea would be working towards the weapon improviser archetype. Ooh. I'm not familiar with that archetype. That would be fun. Uh, the it does what it says on the tin. I mean, it sounds about right, yeah. Uh, the other one made a terrible life choice just to try and not be the black sheep of their family. A small hint didn't work out and only made them more of an outsider. Look, that's uh, no. <laughs> We're going to find out that, that I'm, a black, I'm, I'm the new black sheep. Technically, um, wouldn't she be the white sheep? Oh, yeah, it should be the white <laughs> sheep. Like, I would like a black sheep. Yes, yes, let the Asmodean flow through you. Why don't you like sacrifices more? Uh, <laughs> like, uh, wasn't there a regular person in the Adams family? Oh, yeah. that was the Monsters. No, the that monsters. Was the that was the Monsters, yeah. that's right, sorry. Yeah, yeah Monsters. Cousin Lily or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's just like, yeah, okay, just... you know, perfectly, just perfectly run-of-the-mill kind of person amongst this group of... Uh, a very eccentric character. I was like, for Adam's family, like the most normal person is like Pugsley or something like that. Like, that's yeah, not even get, all that yeah. normal. Yeah. I mean, you're closest. Yeah. Lily was the mom in Munsters. I can't remember what the 
what the normal cousin's name was. Yeah, it's really with an M. Was the mom. And Herman was the dad. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this is not what we're talking about. Yes. (laughs) It's all Jim's fault. He's got us off track of the Munster. Marilyn. Yes. Anyway. Nice alliteration, Marilyn Munster. Nice. Anyway, uh, Jim continues. I only have one question right now for everyone, which was already answered already, but I always want to hear more from you. What (laughs) real and or fictional characters inspired your Hell's Rebels characters? Cesare is pretty, like unique as far as I didn't I can't think of any fictional or real character that I drew inspiration from I did steal his name from Cesare Borgia though just because I like the way Hmm. Cesare sounds so correct me if I'm wrong this Cesare does not have a twin sister no he does not he has a younger sister but they're not friends like that (laughs) yeah you know you don't want to get too far into the Borgias yes yikes yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat because, like, I I don't generally think like, man, I want to make a character that's like Link from Legend of Zelda. Um, I do like that, that sometimes, or take bits and pieces. But like I said, Ch- I try not to do that so much from for the podcast characters, just so people aren't like, oh, she's just playing so and so from this video game or so and so from this movie. Yeah, I, I'm one of those people that like I synthesize it all. So like, I'll make the character, and then somebody like when it, I'll be telling somebody else about it, and they'll be like, oh, it's like that character, blah 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 blah, and I'll be like. I guess so. (laughs) Like I said, I'm not as original as I think I am. I mean, with Victoria, there's obviously the kind of Sherlockian feel to it, but I didn't want her to be, you know, kind of an a-hole. Yeah, she's a lot nicer than Sherlock Modern Sherlockian uh, (laughs) inspirations are. She reminds me a bit more of uh, Bones from Bones, where it's just like very socially awkward, but very intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Look at this cool thing. Unintentional, but good. Like, I like that. (laughs) What's that actress's name? Emily Deschanel? Yes. Uh, I mean, Adria is based a little bit on my mom, which is not a fictional character. <laughs> well, I said fictional. It's real and or fictional. Although less and less as the series goes on. Otherwise, yeah, not really any character character hmm. like that I can think of anyway. I think Nicolo has baked into his character DNA or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> a lot of similarities to like... Interestingly enough, a lot of action heroes from things like The Mummy and stuff like that, like, I could see him fitting in with that crowd, but he's not based off of, like, any one of them or anything like that. Mm. Um, nice. Just the way he's kind of ended up being, it's this sort of, like, eh, hit it, whatever, you know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if I hit it hard enough, it's bound to work eventually. <laughs> I mean, I can see Nikolai, like, screaming back at something before he shoots it in the face, so, you know. <laughs> also, Nicolo, I'm going to correct you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nikolai. Uh, that, uh, that quintessential action hero, especially, like, the late 90s, early 2000s action hero. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting, because I definitely did not intend to go that route, but it's just sort of happened. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing to... To be compared to, I mean, come on, you're like wrestling crocodiles. It's great. <laughs> True. Characters are always different when you sit down and play them after they, you know, between what they were on their backstory. Yep. That's true. Yeah. The story is never what you anticipate it to be, and your character is probably never what you originally set out for them to be. No, but it's working for me. I'm enjoying it, so hey. So Jim signs off. Good luck with your rebellion. Hopefully your enemies have the accuracy of a stormtrooper. Sadly, they don't. <laughs> no, they Sadly, they do not. <laughs> As Lucia can attest with the two holes she still has in her shoulder. Well, thanks for the well wishes, Jim. Yes, Appreciate thank that. you, Jim. Thanks very much. Jim. 
so moving on to our last email. Our last email is from Gordon in Vancouver, Canada. Oh, hello, plane Gordon. Of air. It's a plane of Somewhere air. in the plane of air. <laughs> Gordon Rice. Cloud City. Hello, find the pathers. Hello. We've had three different hello. emails with three different uh, greetings for us. That's fun. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on our thousand names. Well, apparently, yeah, apparently oh, no. we're the, the group of the thousand names. I love crafting of us. I was excited to discover your podcast since Hell's Rebels is probably my favorite adventure path. Awesome. Ooh, After right. listening to the episode so far, I have been very pleasantly surprised by the high quality. I really like the time thanks. devoted to fleshing out the characters. We had a lot of fleshing out the characters in those last couple episodes. It's it, it it is interesting because it's not just like it's not just the main characters. There's like 800 NPCs to like fill out the world too. So it's it's a very like. Even more of an ensemble performance than like a typical like podcast for us, which is an ensemble performance already. Well, you know, mm. it's another one of those things about being in the city. Like, you know, with the doorkeepers, they're out, they were out in the middle of the desert with just themselves for a long time. True. So, yeah. Whereas very... in this case, you can always go back to the same. You know, you can go talk to Goth Gnome again. You know, <laughs> I love go Goth punch Gnome. Goth Gnome in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I ask for I mouth, please help me. You help me. <laughs> help yourself. You know who I am. <laughs> You know It'd be different is. if, like, maybe you'd like started looking like Lucia again. You know, maybe I know she's the timing you, was but... just like a little off with that, which I kind of liked because like nobody has yeah. perfect like time mm. awareness. So I was expecting you to name drop Adria there, just be like, oh, you know, Adria. Yeah, I know Adria. We play bridge together or something. <laughs> yeah, mm. looking a little rough around the, the edges tonight. On the bridge. Yeah. bridge I love bridge. bridge bridge night. Yeah. <laughs> you did say you played bridge with some of these people. I should have named dropped bridge bridge. But maybe not with. I don't know if the goth gnome is a bridge player, but there's the kid's mom down the street or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, we haven't really got to talk like, to most knows of that person's house or anything like that. Nah. Anyway, uh, Gordon continues. Rick, I like how you've been running the Tooth Fairy murder investigation. Often RPG investigations fall flat with the PCs unable to find good enough or appropriate clues. In my game, I am a player. We couldn't find anything at the murder scenes and had to resort to a stakeout close to the scene of several murders and wait for the villains to show up. Do you have any pointers for other GMs? Uh, sure. One, I think that you can allow a certain degree of meta-knowledge, which is more if a uh, if the group shows up and they're investigating a crime scene and they can't find any clues, and then they go and they look at the body and maybe they find some clues there. They can do that. You see it all the time in like crime scene investigation shows and all the rest of that stuff where it's like, well, let's go back to the scene and see maybe we missed something. Maybe now with this new information and give them a chance to go back and try a second pass at it. Uh, if it becomes a reoccurrent problem, I always like the success by degrees idea. I really like it in uh, second edition with the whole success and mm -hmm. critical success. But it's you could argue that even on a failure, they still find something. They just don't know what. Where it's like, okay, yeah, there's a weird powdery residue. And it's like on a failure, they may come to a false conclusion. But one that still leads them in the direction that they need to go. It just doesn't provide them enough information to, for instance, all of you knew that you were dealing with tooth fairies before you went. You yeah. could have feasibly found enough yeah. clues to go, well, everything seems to be pointing to this place, and then show up and have no idea that you were dealing with tooth fairies, but still got to the murderer. Yeah. I really like the second edition mechanic. It's probably one of my favorite mechanics with second edition of the varying degrees of success. Yeah, that's Because nice. it means that it's not just a black and white, you succeeded or you failed. Mm. And so incorporating that investigations to allow even failures to lead them in the right direction and critical failures to lead them in the wrong direction, but maybe even sink to the same end. Where it's, you know, you show up, it's like, I'm nearly positive that we are dealing with satyrs. 
Oh god. Some serial killing satyrs. <laughs> Honestly, I would have rather have fought a satyr than those freaking tooth fairies. <laughs> god. I don't know. I don't know what uh, what creature level satyrs are now. True. I don't know. I hope that they got they got back the pan pipes that make people dance. As I say, anyway, it doesn't matter though. They're gracious. not tooth fairies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The bar is set pretty low there. Curse. To be fair, tooth fairies weirdly brand on brand for us. That's, yeah, yeah. become that way. Yeah. Weird co- in the way that weird coincidental monsters pop up. I no. hate them. Could be a cat swarm. You don't know. No. Something else on brand for us. But I don't want to hurt swarm. a cat swarm. Yeah, well, unfortunately, just... it all count as one animal, so you could wild at empathy 30 cats at a time if they're part of a swarm. Okay, that would be pretty so. awesome. I've <laughs> never branded the cat lady. Yep. My house is protected by a cat swarm. Goodness. <clears throat> See the Dotari go up against that. Uh, and that is the end of our emails. Thank all you right. so much, for everybody, you. for writing in. Yes. Yeah, appreciate it, Gordon. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you, Gordon. I hope everyone enjoyed the past few episodes, and I guess we'll see what kind of mischief we get up to getting Lucia out of the Noble District. Well, maybe we can intercept I them I feel like it's going to be easier yeah. than if I was in jail, but maybe I miscalculated. We'll find out. Well, that's, that's <laughs> another thing I was thinking, too, is like maybe we get them like on the way to the Sereni house. Like yeah, we, before they get to the Depends on when the... the, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, Raven arrives because then you have to run all the way from like the south side of the city. So yeah. it shouldn't take too long for the bird to fly over there. Yeah, the bird's pretty quick. Insanely huh? so, actually. I think they've got like a ridiculous flight speed. Yeah. So. But how fast can you guys move? That's and you know. you're, you're still being interrogated by the Hell Knight, so that's gonna give us a little time to. You know, yeah, I think I'm being interrogated ourselves. on Bleak Bridge though, so good luck getting in there. Well, we'll just wait till they're taking you back. Okay, we'll, and see. we'll figure that out. So yeah, yeah, you can all just grab a pine at uh, Clinch Jaws and get ready to jump a Hell Knight. Yeah, that's gonna. Go <laughs> I, I, I feel like that's a really bad idea. We go get Vendelfeck <laughs> and we confuse the entire oh, guard man, tower. Dude. Okay, so you send a Raven to Rexus to be like deploy the Vendelfeck special forces. <laughs> deploy <the> <laughs> <Vendelfeck>. <laughs> and you just hear him go. Dun, 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 Roll out on a bus. I was only I was only imagining Adria stepping out with like Vindelfleck in her arm like a set of bagpipes or something, just like squeezing and spraying <laughs> <laughs> oh, spraying clouds of breath. That would be yeah. amazing. Hold your breath and then once your your cousin's confused, run like <laughs> That would be funny. You definitely don't want to be next to a confused Hell Knight. Yes. <laughs> no. I'm sure not. Oh, Grabbing his sword or whatever he's got and just going to town. He's pyre. No, we've what all just got like plague masks no, on. Right. We like run right. in here, grab her, shove her in a plague mask, and keep going. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to right. see next time. That's true. Good luck out there, Pathfolk. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Bye, Pathfolk. Bye, Pathfolk. Bye, everybody. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Hell's Rebels is copyright 2015. Hell's Rebels and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. Find the Path Ventures have converted Hell's Rebels from Pathfinder to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Conversion notes are available to our Patreon backers at patreon.com backslash findthepath.